so good. So, so good. I've loved just the ripple effect of just a tangible expression of us just going out and blessing our community. I think that's what we are called to do as a church. And so thank you so much for saying yes to that and giving towards that, investing in it. It was a remarkable thing to see 80 people out there a couple Sundays ago and then on Monday another 20 people finishing all, it all up and that couple um, just so incredibly grateful for what you did. We all, what you didn't see, Monday, they, were, they opened back up on Tuesday. On Monday when we were finishing up, their commercial refrigerator completely died, um, which obviously they are in much of need of. And, and so people just gave again, and we gave them a brand new commercial um, refrigerator so that they were able to have that for Tuesday when they opened up. Isn't God good? Aren't you, aren't you thankful for all that? <laughs> I just love that. Love to be a part of a church that thinks outside of our own four walls. Love that. Get your Bibles out if you would, please. Um, we are doing a series around here that we're calling Life in the Spirit. And what we're doing is we're going through um, the book of Romans. And before Easter, we got up through um, chapter 7, and we called that portion of Romans um, Life in the Balance. Now we're kind of in the latter part of the book of Romans, and we're calling this part Life in the Spirit. And we're going to, through the next several weeks, go through the rest of the book of, of Romans. And so I want to encourage you to, if you've missed any of the messages, to kind of get caught up. You can go online and, and listen to those at any time. But let me try to um, get you caught up from uh, where we were. Because when you look at the book of Romans, for chapters 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul's writing it kind of in a strange way. Because he's writing it as if he's in this court of law. And he, this, this case that's before this court is mankind's guilt or innocence before God, that mankind has deliberately rejected God. And the prosecutor um, is Paul himself, and the accused is all humanity. All of us are on trial. And so in chapters 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul, he brings up this case as the prosecuting attorney that every single one of us are guilty, that none of us are perfect, that in our lives we've all done something wrong. No matter where you go back in history, every single person has done something wrong. And he shows the proof that we're overwhelmingly guilty of godlessness, guilty of, of wickedness, guilty of self-righteousness. And that's chapters 1 through 4. And then in chapter 5, Apostle Paul begins to describe that even though this evil and this wickedness and this godlessness and this self-righteousness has been and is and continues to increase in our world, God's grace is increasing more and more. Not as an, an equal level. It's not like evil increases and then God's grace and his work increases. No, God actually works above and beyond the evil and the godlessness that's going on in, in our world. And then we get to chapter 6, and the Apostle Paul, he, he's thinking as if these people are making these arguments in, in their head, and he answers the questions before the questions can even be asked. And so he's talking about, so, so it is, as God's in grace is increasing, does that then mean that, that we should then sin even more? Um, because if our sinfulness makes God look better, then shouldn't we even go ahead and sin some more so God looks even better? And he goes, no, 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 that's, you're missing the whole point because any aspect of sin in our life actually creates death in us. And so that's why we have to address this issue of death. And then he gets into this whole chapter in chapter 7 where he talks about this tension that we have, that every single one of us have, and that our biggest problem is not the devil. The devil is not your biggest problem. Your spouse is not your biggest problem. Your boss is not your biggest problem. Those who drive in the left lane on Highway 71, that's not your biggest problem. 
you have another problem that you have to contend with, and that is that we have these two natures that are warring on, on the inside of us. We have this new nature that becomes a part of us. When you ask Jesus to come into your life, your spirit comes alive, and all of a sudden you have this new nature that's a part of who you are, but you still have your old nature that still wants to do whatever it wants to do. Whatever emotions come, whatever thoughts come, whatever lusts come, your old nature still wants to do those types of things. And so as a result, you have this new nature and this old nature that are waging war with inside of you. And so he talks about in chapter 7 this war, this thing, I want to do these things, but for some reason I can't do them. And these things I don't want to do, those are the things that I end up doing. This is the war he talks about. And finally, at the end of the chapter, he gets to this point of hopelessness. And frustration because everything he's trying is just not working. It's not changing. The things he wants to do, he still can't do. The things he doesn't want to do, those are the things he does. And so he makes this conclusion, verse 24, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? And so he finally gives up that he's not going to be able to solve this, that he, he can't do this thing. And as soon as he says that, he gets this glimmer of hope, verse 25, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. And so he finally realizes it's not about him being good enough. It's not about him having all the self-discipline, but that Jesus is the answer and the only answer to this war that rages on the inside of us which then brings us to chapter 8, and that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. Now, when you came in here this morning, you should have had a Bible on your chair, and you should have had a white piece of paper, right? Take out that white piece of paper right now, if you would. This is an interactive service here this morning, okay? So take out your white piece of paper, and I want you to do something with this, because I want you to somehow, some way, make this little piece of paper reflect your life. So that means you can draw on it, pictures that you want to draw on it. You can put your name on it. You can tear it up. You can tatter it. You can poke holes on it. You can put it down on the floor and stomp all over it. You can wad it up. But somehow, someway, I want you to make this piece of paper reflect your life. Does that make sense? Everybody understand the instructions here? I feel like I'm a teacher in class. Everybody's staring at me. I want to make sure you understand what we're doing. And so I'm going to keep talking but I need you to multitask because I want you to do this. We're going to come back to this at the end of the message here. So I need you to go ahead and make this reflect you, okay? If nothing else, just put your name on it, all right? And we'll come back to it. So in chapter 8, chapter 8 probably is the greatest chapter ever written on the Christian life. Not even just in the Bible, but really in, in the, the world here. And there's so much jam-packed in this chapter. There's absolutely no way that I can go through all the elements in this chapter here in the time that we have here this morning. And so I want to encourage you this week to take time to actually go through chapter 8. Read it slowly. Read it in parts. And begin to digest it because this is, is probably, in my opinion, the greatest chapter ever written on the Christian life. So take your time through it because this morning... We're only going to look at the very first two verses, verse 1 and 2, and that's enough for us to look at here today. So look at this if you have your Bible, or you can draw your screens, or you can just listen to me while you're 
where you're doing something with your piece of paper. Verse 1 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And I want you to notice in verse 1, Apostle Paul says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, what is condemnation? Well, condemnation, we can kind of talk about it based upon how you feel when you're experiencing condemnation. And so, in other words, when you're under condemnation, number one, you feel guilty. You feel guilty. You know you did something wrong. You got caught with your hand in the cookie jar. And so you feel guilty. Number two, you feel fear. You feel fear. Fear of punishment. I've done something wrong. And so not only do I feel guilty, but I'm also in fear of the punishment that's going to come as a result of doing something wrong. And then number three, you feel self-rejection. I blew it. I'm stupid. Boy, was that a huge mistake that I just did. We feel that self-rejection. And so that's what condemnation is. And I think every single one of us have experienced and we know exactly what that feels like, right? You with me? You know how that feels. You know what that, that feeling of being condemned feels like, that feeling of guilty, that feeling of fear, that feeling of punishment here. Well, the interesting thing about the beginning part of this chapter, and just remember, we just got out of chapter 7, and Paul's talking about this war that rages in between us, and that only Jesus can settle this war that rages, rages inside of us. And the very first thing that he says after that, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. And so the question becomes, well, then how is this possible? Because here Paul's saying and is describing the heart of God that he, God doesn't want you to be under these feelings, these feelings of condemnation, these feelings of being condemned, these feelings of fear, these feelings of rejection and shame and rejection. He said God doesn't want you to feel that way. But the problem is I think so many of us feel that way when we've done something wrong, when we have sinned. And so when you think of this question, how is this possible, the, you have to kind of go to the underlining to really actually answer this question. Because when we really deal with the issue of condemnation, the real question that we have to address is, well, then how does God respond to me when I sin? How does God respond to me when I sin? This is such an enormously important question because if I don't understand how God responds to me when I sin, then I'm going to avoid him out of fear and I'm not going to feel very close to him. And as a result, this is just going to perpetuate condemnation inside of my own heart. And so how does God respond to me when I sin? Number one, God doesn't reject me when I sin. God doesn't reject me when I sin. See, Jesus said in John 6, verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. This is such a huge thing because if you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've made a decision to follow him, then God is never going to reject you. Come on, turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, God will never reject you. Which means God's still going to accept you even when you sin. And here's why. Because first, God accepts you even when you sin because his love is unconditional. 
His love for you and me, it's unconditional. Romans 9, verse 15, says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. In other words, God says, my love for you is not dependent upon how you react to it. My love for you, God says, is based upon me. I choose to love you. I choose to have mercy on you. I choose to have compassion on you. It's not I love you if dot, 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 dot. It's I love you, period. End of statement. That's how God loves us. Second, God accepts us when you sin because your acceptance is not based upon your performance. So how God sees you and how God accepts you is not based upon your performance. In Romans 9, verse 16, it says, it does not therefore depend upon man's desires or effort, but on God's mercy. And so God's love for you and his working in your life and his salvation power working in your life is not dependent upon your desire. It's not dependent upon your effort. In other words, it's not dependent upon your performance. God's love for you and his salvation for you is dependent upon his mercy, his actions, not yours and mine. And then the third thing is that God accepts us when you sin because your acceptance is based on your position in Christ. God accepts you because of your position in Christ. And that's what Romans chapter 8 verse 1 is all about. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. Those words in Christ Paul uses it over and over and over. It's probably the number one descriptive words to describe somebody who's made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. 167 times he uses those, those phrases, in Christ, to describe your relationship and then God's interaction then with you. At the end of Romans chapter 8, verse 38, and he says it this way. He says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons... Neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so have you ever felt like when you sin that God is, he just feels so far away. He feels like he's a million miles away. Have you ever felt like that before? Come on. You can be honest here in church. It's okay. Well, let me, let, let me release you just a little bit because... This, those feelings are not from God. Because the, the little bumper sticker quote is, if God seems far away, who moved? God's not going to move. That's the incredible gospel of what Jesus came to present, is that God now no longer moves. Because of Jesus, what Jesus did, he doesn't have to move in your life. So no matter what you do, he stays put. He, 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 he's not the one who moves. If, some, if something's changed, you're the one who's moved. Because God doesn't reject you. God doesn't reject you even when you sin. Because if you're in Christ, he's not going to reject you. You're no longer an enemy of his. You're a child of his. And so he doesn't resist you. He doesn't push you back. And that's one of the reasons why you can now live without condemnation. Because no matter what you do, God will never wipe you out. He's not going to just dismiss you and wipe you out. He'll never reject you because you are now in a position with Christ. And so how does God respond to me when I sin? Number one, God does not reject me. Number two, God is not angry at me when I'm inconsistent. God's not angry with you 
when you are inconsistent. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17, it says it this way. It said, they refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in the rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. God doesn't desert you. He's faithful even when you are faithless. He'll never give up on you. And it's true. We get angry at ourselves. We get impatient at ourselves. But God does not. God's not impatient with you. And I think that's one of the most absolutely amazing things, amazing truths of Scripture that you need to get deeply inside of you. And that is that God is patient with you. He's patient with you. He's not going to ever give up on you. And that's one of the most amazing truths in Scripture. He understands that it's going to take time for you to grow. He gets it. He understands it's going to take time for you to grow. And so even when you're inconsistent, he's still patient with you. He's not going to just condemn you and dismiss you. And here's why. First, God knows what I'm made of. He knows what you're made of. In Psalms 103, Verse 13, it says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are but dust. God knows what you're made of, everybody. Have you ever heard the story of the preacher who was praying this, this, this passage of scriptures from Psalm 103? One day the preacher was, was, was praying this passage. He said, dear Lord, you know that we are but dust. And he was continued on with this prayer, but there was a girl in the front row there that turned to her mom in a very loud voice said, Mom, what is butt dust? <laughs> I don't quite think that's what the psalmist was meaning here. But nevertheless, God knows what you're made of, even if that's what you're made of, right? He knows what you're made of. God knows that you're a human being. He knows that you struggle with sin. He knows that you're not perfect. Think about it this way. Those of you who are parents, when you were trying, when your, when your children was trying to walk, what did they do? They stumbled. They fell flat on their face. And so you as a parent, what did you do? Did you pick them up and put them right in front of you and give them a 30-minute lecture of what, what they need to do and why they, they need to walk and not stumble? I mean, did you yell and scream at them? Did you put them in a, a timeout for, for an hour and so you need to think about this so you, so you can get back up and, and walk? I mean, did you give them a spanking because they stumbled and fell? No! What did you do? You picked them up. If they were crying because they got hurt, you wiped their tears, you brushed them all off, and you, you can do this. You can do it. You, just, you, you came alongside of every one of your children who were learning to walk. Let me propose to you here this morning that that's the same way God is with us. That's how much he loves you and he understands you. He doesn't expect for you to be perfect. God doesn't look at you and say, Floyd, what in the world are you doing, man? You're old enough to know better. Get up. Why do you keep stumbling? Why do you keep falling? You're so stupid. God doesn't do that. That's not how he reacts to us. Because here's the thing. God already knows. God already knows all the mistakes that you're going to make today and tomorrow and the rest of this week. God already knows all the sins that you're going to commit for the rest of your life. He already knows it. And so that's why it's no big surprise to him when you do it. See, folks, to be disappointed in somebody 
you have to have different expectations for them, right? And so that's all, the only way you're going to be surprised and disappointed is if, if, it's, if they're doing something you expected them to do differently. God already knows everything about you, and so he's not surprised. That's why he can't be disappointed with you. And that's one of the reasons why God's not angry with you when you're inconsistent. The second reason why God's not angry with you is that Jesus understands because he's been there too. Jesus understands. He's walked in your shoes. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. See, he's talking about that God doesn't get upset with us because Jesus has been through what you're going through. Jesus gets it. Jesus understands it. He came to this earth. He was tempted with the exact same things that you and I were tempted. He had the same hassles that you have to deal with. Maybe it's not a car, but it was a donkey in the left lane for him, right? He, he, under, he, get, he understands those things that we are doing. He knows what we're going through. And so that's why you don't need to hide whenever you sin because Jesus understands your weaknesses. And let me just suggest to you that this is one of the biggest lies that the devil will try to get you to accept, and that is you need to hide from God when you sin. It's a, it's a lie that he wants to get you to accept. So for so many of us, that's our typical reaction. We sin, we feel guilty, we feel condemned, and so we feel like that we have to hide from God. We feel like that we have some way, somehow, we need to make reparations for what it is that we did. And so what do we do? We linger back. I don't want to approach God. I'm afraid of what he's going to do, what he's going to say, how he's going to treat me. And so we wait for some ambiguous period of time so that we kind of feel better and hopefully God feels better about all of this. And so we just kind of settle back and we kind of avoid God, avoid talking about God, avoid thinking about God until enough time has gone by where it's kind of time is kind of wiped over that and say, okay, now God, I can reapproach. That tends to be the journey for so many of us. Instead of running to God when we sin, we run away from God. And the reason why this is one of the biggest lies that the devil tried to convince you of is because as long as you do that, that he knows that he can keep you away from God, the one who can heal you and set you free. And the longer the devil can keep you from God, the more death he can put in your heart and in your life, which causes you then to be entrenched in those sins that you keep repeating. Did you hear me? The devil knows the answer to this war is for you to run to Jesus. And so the lie is you need to hide from him when you sin because you're, you feel condemned. You feel guilty. You feel fear. You feel this, what's going, you feel this punishment is coming on you. And so you have this overwhelming feeling of condemnation. I got to avoid God because what is he going to do? Let me tell you, that's not from God. That's from the devil. Because the devil wants to keep you from God because he knows if you're away from God, death will just continue to perpetuate in your life and you'll get entrenched in that sin. And so we need to wake up to what's going on here because God is never, is never angry with you even when you're inconsistent. He's not angry with you. I think this is one of the hardest lessons I think I've personally had to learn in my, in my Christian life that God doesn't get impatient with me when I fall over and over and over in the same sin areas. God doesn't get impatient with me. I mean, think, think about how many times you've ever, ever thought, maybe, maybe you think like I do, that, that you've committed that one sin so many times 
that, that this is going to be time. I, I feel so embarrassed because I keep doing this. I keep falling into these same things. And so I'm embarrassed to go talk to God. I'm embarrassed to go confess with this guy because surely this time God's going to say, Russ, what are you doing? You've now done this 101 times. I've, you know you're not supposed to do this. And so why do you keep doing this? What's wrong with you? 101 times. 100 times my mercy was good. 101 is done. It's done. My mercy is over with you. I'm finished. I'm done with you. I think so many that's how we kind of think God's going to react. But that's not how God is. His mercies are new every single day. God says, I'm not angry with you because he understands the temptations that we go through. And so how does God respond to me when I sin? Number one, God doesn't reject me. Number two, God's not angry with me when I'm inconsistent. And number three, God doesn't punish me when I sin. God doesn't punish us when I sin. Now, what's punishment? Well, punishment is payment for doing something wrong. Punishment is payment for doing something wrong. So think about this. Because if all of us have sinned, we've already made that track record here in the book of Romans, where Paul makes this convincing argument, all of us have sinned, none of us are without this. So if all of us have sinned, then why doesn't God punish me then for my sins? Obviously, I've done something wrong, and so then why doesn't God punish us for that? Well, the answer is because of a legal term called the law of double jeopardy. Heard that before? How many of you heard that? The law of double jeopardy? The law of double jeopardy says that once you've been punished for a crime, you can't be convicted or punished for that same crime again. Well, think about this, because in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. See, Jesus took on all the punishment. All the punishment for every sin that you've ever committed and all the punishment for every sin that you will ever commit. He took the punishment all on himself over 2,000 years ago. And so that means, so do you think that since God took all the punishment and put it on Jesus for your sins, does that mean now that you've committed that sin 101 times, God looks at you and says, you know what, Floyd, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry for this. You know, Jesus took care of the first hundred, but now it's all on you, buddy. You know, now it's on, on you. You're going to have to pay the punishment, the penalty, then of the rest of these. No, that's, that's not what God does. Come on, folks. That's not what God does. See, I think when we fail to understand this point I'm talking about, that when we sin, if we fail to understand that when, when, when we go ahead and sin, then what we're expecting is that God's punishment is to still come upon us. And so that means if I get sick, if I lose my job, if I run into financial difficulty or relational problems, then I'll be thinking, well, God must be punishing me for the sin that I did. And some of you are holding on to things thinking that God's punishing you for something you did 20 years ago. But let me release you from that, folks, because that is not who God is. God is not trying to get even with you. That has all been dealt with. He already settled the score at the cross. That's what it means to live without any sort of condemnation. Because if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, your sins have already been paid for. The punishment for your sins have already come on Jesus, and God doesn't hold a grudge. He's not holding a grudge 
over you. It's all been taken care of. You're not his enemy. You are his child. So when we begin to understand what, what that, how God deals with our sins, it takes away then these feelings of condemnation, these feelings that are not from God, these feelings of guilt, these feelings of fear, these feelings of rejection. And now, instead of running away from God, which, by the way, let me just suggest to you, and just because you understand doesn't change your feelings because the devil is relentless. The devil wants you to coward. The devil wants you to run away from God. But when you begin to understand how God looks at me, how God responds to me when I sin, now that I understand, in spite of how I feel, in spite of how I may still feel condemned, in spite of how I may still feel fear, in spite of how I still may feel the, that God might reject me, that God might punish me, when I understand truth, then I let truth move me forward. So instead of running away from God, now I run to God. Because I now, I know that the only way I'm going to get healed, the only way that I'm going to get freed from the entrenchment of sin is that I run to God immediately. When you sin, be quick to repent. Swift to rush to God. Don't allow those feelings because that's the devil. The devil wants to push you away from God. He wants you to hide from God because when, as long as you're distant from God, death can still happen inside you. Let me suggest to you that repentance is really has nothing to do with you and God. That man just messed somebody up. <laughs> repentance really has nothing to do with you and God because remember who moves. If you're in Christ, if you've asked Jesus into your life, God doesn't move. We're the one who moves. Repentance really has nothing to do with our relationship with God because that was settled at the cross. What repentance does, it closes the door on the devil's permission to work death in your life. That's what it does. And so that's why I want to run to God when I sin so that that door goes shut immediately. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteous, unrighteousness. That word confess, in the original Greek language that this was written in, means simply to speak the same. <laughs> to speak the same. And so confession simply means I agree with God. God, you're right. <laughs> I was wrong. I was jealous today. God, you're right. I was wrong. I got angry with my wife today. God, you're right. I was wrong. I was short with that person today. God, you were right. I was wrong. I had, had that judgmental, critical attitude here today. That's what confession is, folks. It's simply to agree, not justify your actions, but simply agree to what God has already said. That's what Paul talks about. That's why the law is still really important. So we know those standards that God creates. And so I look at that. I look at that mirror, and I begin to realize, oh, boy, I shouldn't miss that. I miss that. And so all confession is, is, I just agree, God, this is what you said. This is how you created me. This is the path I'm supposed to go. And God, I confess that I was wrong. I pursued my thoughts. I pursued those emotions. I pursued those lusts. I repent of that. Now, I want you to notice what confession is not. Because confession does not mean to beg. Please, 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 God, please, 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 God, please, please, please forgive me. Just this one more time, please, God. Confession does not mean to beg. Confession does not mean to bargain. Please, God, please, just one more time, God, if you'll just forgive me, I'll never do this again. Confession does not mean to bargain, and confession does not mean to bribe. Please, God, if, please, if you'll just forgive me this one more time, I'll make sure I read my Bible every single day, and I'll go to church every single Sunday. 
Listen, folks, that's not what confession is. Confession is simply means to agree with God, just to speak the same, to admit it. Because whenever I fall into this begging and pleading and bargaining and bribing, I'm still under this cloud of condemnation, of fear, rejection, and punishment. But look at how the writer of Hebrews says we're to approach God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. This is in the Amplified Bible. It says it this way, let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners, that we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. Look at those words fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace. When you understand what Jesus did on the cross, what we just celebrated last week with Easter, the the resurrection, the cross and and the resurrection, when you understand how Jesus responds to us when we sin, then you can boldly, fearlessly, confidently run to God when you sin. Instead of avoiding God, instead of hiding from God, because you know that you know that you know that it's only when you run to God, when you draw near to God, that you're able to overcome that sin and that fear and punishment and condemnation and shame no longer will root itself to cause you to be entrenched then in those patterns of sin. This is what Romans chapter 8 verse 1 and 2 is all about. Look at this again. Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. The reason why you're no longer under condemnation is because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are now in Christ. If you would take out that piece of paper that somehow reflects you, So this is mine. You don't have to show it to anybody else, but I'll just show you mine. This is mine. What I want you to do is I just want you to take it and I want you to fold it, if you would, please. Mine's kind of hard to fold because it's all kind of torn up. But fold it about into fourths, if you would, please. Just fold it into fourths about this this size. You got yours? Everybody has theirs? When you have it, just put your hands up with it so I can see where, where you are with it. So about this size. Okay. Now, if you would, I want you to take your Bible that was on your chair when you came in that was on top of this. So this is my gift to you today, guys. I'm turning 50 here, so it's my birthday. So, <laughs> But here's the thing. This, this is for you. This is for you. Um, if you don't want it, you don't need it. I want to ask you to still take it and give it away, okay? Find somebody, keep this with you. If you don't want it, you don't need it, please still take it. And then I want you to take it, take it with you this week and see if God would lead you to somebody to actually give this to you, all right? Now, I want you to do, take, your, take your piece of paper, and I want you to just put it in your Bible. Put it in your Bible. Everybody have it in your Bible? Just show me your Bibles. Let me see. Okay. Now, I want you to think about this, because what now do you see? You just see, you just see, you just see your Bible, right? Now think about this. 
inside here is my life, tattered, torn, broken, messed up, whatever it might be for you. But when it's like this, what do you see? You don't see it at all, do you? Let me suggest to you this is exactly how God is with us. This is how he sees you. Because my life, figuratively speaking, is in this Bible. I no longer can see it. God is the same way with you. When you come to Jesus, when you've asked Jesus into your life, you become in Christ and you get inserted in. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sins. He doesn't see your mistakes. He doesn't see your messed up life. He sees you perfect, or the Bible says justified, just as if I'd never sinned. That's how God sees you. Why? Because you're in Christ. He sees you through the filter of the blood of Jesus who paid already for your punishment of every sin, every mistake that you'll ever do. And so the reason why God, God's love is unconditional is because he doesn't see all the stuff, all the messes and the mistakes that you make, all the sins that you do. It's already paid for. It's already dealt with. It's already covered. You're, it's, you're hidden in him. And so God can never reject you because to reject you would mean to he would have to reject Jesus. Because you are in Christ. And so this is why you can boldly and confidently come before him. The reason why you don't have to grovel and hide from him. Because God doesn't see it. If you've asked Jesus into your life, this has already been taken care of. And so that's why when you sin, you can boldly come before him. Because your life is hidden in Christ. That's why you can fearlessly boldly, confidently come before him because it's already taken care of. And now all you need to do is close the door. Get the door closed so the devil can't continue to per perpetuate um, death and condemnation in you. If you would, I wish you just close your eyes if you would, please. Because I don't want you to think about anybody else here. Because for some of you here, even the reality might be here today that you're feeling guilty. You're you're feeling fear. You're, you're feeling self-condemnation. You're feeling rejection. You're feeling shame. And so instead of running to God, you have, you've, been, you've been hiding from him. If you would be honest with yourself, you, you've been one of those who's been hiding from him. You've been believing this lie that God's angry with you, that he's rejecting you, that he's wanting to punish you. But you need to know here today, and let me say it again, that that's the lie that the devil wants you to embrace. Because if you'll just continue to embrace this lie, that will keep you from God. And the devil will then be able just to continue to inflict death into your life and keep you entrenched in those sins. The, the psalmist, he, he said it this way. He said, when I, I refused to confess my sin, my body was wasted away and I groaned all day long for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of day. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you, O God, and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. And so instead of running from God and hiding from him, would you run to him? Would you run to him here, right right here in this moment? I mean, just work right where you are. Just begin to confess where you've missed it, where you, you failed, where you missed that mark, 
just right where you are. You, you know exactly. We don't have to talk about it. You know exactly where you missed it here today and this week. Just right where you are, just confess. Just speak this thing. Just agree with what God says. Just, and be able to just come before him and just, God, I, I, I missed it. Yeah, boy, I really followed this path. Well, I gave in to this. God, I confess that. And here today, I repent. I repent of those things. Right where you are, just begin to do that. Just begin to confess those things to the Lord. Right here. You don't have to hide. He's for you. He's not against you. You know, maybe today, when you look at that Bible that's in your hands and that piece of paper, that's inside that Bible, maybe you're wondering if you really are in Christ. Maybe you're wondering if God really does accept you, if God really is not angry with you, if God really is not punishing you. Well, you can settle, you can settle that issue right here and right now. Later in the book of Romans, Apostle Paul, he gives some, real, some really practical steps for how to move forward in this, this amazing plan that God has for our life to step into so that we can be then in Christ. And he says it this way, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your mouth that you believe and you're justified. And it's with your, with your, it's with, sorry, it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and you're saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to just pray with you here and maybe we can all just pray this here together as maybe your declaration of faith. Maybe it's for the first time or the first time in a, in a long time, but just, just, just make this declaration here. Just, just pray this out loud. Say, God, I confess my need for you. I realize that I cannot be good enough for you. I realize that I'm a sinner, and the effect of those sins means that I will be eternally separated from you. But Jesus, you said that you are the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to God except through you. And so today, I choose you. I choose you, Jesus, and I let go of all other ways of trying to get to God. I want that free gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus. God, you said that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. And so today, I'm calling on the name of Jesus, and I turn over the steering wheel of my life to Jesus. I surrender, and I commit my life to Jesus. God, I ask that you would be the driver in my life. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sins, to take my place. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. And so now I'm asking that you would raise me up and that you would fill me up with your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, 
for coming into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to go back into worship here. We've been kind of changing our our service format this year and putting um, the bulk of our worship kind of at the end of the service as response to just the word um, speaking in our life. And so the team's going to lead us again. And I want to encourage you, let these songs um, lead you in your own thankfulness, lead you in your own relationship with God. As part of your worship experience, we have communion up here in front. And I want to encourage you, let that be a part of your worship. You're, you're, again, you're renewing your declaration of faith, you receiving Jesus then in your life as well. Our prayer team is here to minister over you. I think we just kind of take it for granted, but they're here to speak life and, and God's words over you and to stand with you in whatever you're going through. So there'll be people in the front, there'll be people in the back. They have these little um, lambic green, green little things on there. She'll be easy to identify them. Let them minister over you. Let them release um, life into you. So if you would, why don't you stand up on your feet here? And let's worship here a little bit tonight. Eight, he says this, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. I, I know we're over time here, but I, um, I want to just ask the prayer team, and you probably all need to come up forward here because people that are going to exit are going to go that direction. But, but if you need life released in your body, um, I don't want you to hurry out here. Let these men and women just pray over you and release the reality of what Paul just talked about there in Romans. Like, let him release that life-giving power into your body. I don't care what ache or pain your body is experiencing. Let the Spirit of God, His presence, come and just fill you before you leave here. And so probably the easiest way is just is to, is we're going to, we're just kind of end this service. And so you can come up here and just let them release that. And then you, you can exit um, then when you're done. Let me just speak a blessing over you as we do this. Father, I pray God, your blessing, your blessing, God would overcome each of these men and women. God, who you are, the essence of who you are would surprise them. <laughs> God, even as they are preparing to leave here, that, God, you would surprise them with even more of your presence and more of your power and more of just who you are working into, inside of their lives so that they go and they leave here equipped and filled up with your spirit, able to then release that wherever they go into their workplaces, in their homes, into um, our neighborhoods and into the stores that we go to. And so, Father, I release and impart and declare your spirit of wisdom rule and reign in their life, your spirit of truth, and your spirit of counsel, and your spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of might, and the spirit of power, and even the spirit of the fear of the Lord would work mightily in every single one of us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, everybody. God bless you. Make sure you get, get prayed over, get released. You get that life released in you before you leave. God bless you. Have a great week.